0: Good morning, my name is Scott Strubing. I am the pastor of Family and Discipleship here, and it's wonderful to see you all. I'd like to tell you that this sermon came about under easy circumstances, but it did not. It seems that there has been a conspiracy against me all week in order to try and assure that nothing was preached to you, whether it be doors being locked and keys, I think I lost. That's the best way I can come up with it, is I lost all the keys, um, or a printer going down and then a new printer being here and that printer not working. It's, it's a miracle that we are now at this moment. So praise God for that. But as we were going through this week, I started to think of harder things. Because it's just a locked door. It's just missing files. It's just a copier not working properly. These are little things must be more difficult things in everyone's life. And as I was thinking back, I I thought too a few weeks ago when I preached on a a sermon on Jonah's prayer. We just finished our series on Jonah and I would preached a sermon on Jonah's prayer called The Water, the Whale, and the Way. And in one of the points, we were talking about people who are just kind of floating, almost sinking and, and struggling to know what is happening next? And I left that sermon feeling generally comfortable. And I got in the car with my wife. I didn't prep her for this, so I apologized to her. I think she knew of it a little bit. Hannah is wonderful. I love my wife. I am blessed to have my wife. She is an amazing help. She does so much in our family. She's great with our daughters. She challenges me. She is not fun to be in the car with after you preach a sermon. (laughs) She's blushing, but it's true. Because Hannah asked the question that the dark corner of my heart asks after a sermon. The question is, why didn't you say that? Oh, that's a terrible question to ask after you preach. Why you didn't say something... And then more to that point, what about that person? And I, I love my wife because what she was asking was not a critical question for me. It was a critical question for her going forward with the subject. But at the same time, when I hear the question, what comes to my mind is first the response I want to give, rather than weeping, it's, um, hmm, I don't, I don't, I, I don't know. It, really, what's going on inside is failure Failure, failure, you're a failure who's failed. But so that was what had happened. Hannah asked me very specifically, you know, what do you say to someone who's floating, someone who is seemingly drowning, someone who is struggling so hard, what do you tell them? And I didn't have the answer in that moment, and I think I'd kind of given a little bit of the answer, but I didn't have a clear answer for her in that moment. And so I just kind of proceeded thinking upon that. And then next day, I was reading and writing through Psalm 77. I, I'm terrible at memorization. I'm not good at memorizing things. I'm great at telling you exactly who, um, who I worked with 12 years ago, their name, their face, their, um, their body odor, that kind of thing clear memory. I can tell you stories that I came up with in high school. Like, I, that's how my memory works. Give me a Bible verse and say, memorize this verse, and it will take me a week to have a suitable memorization. So what I have to do is write out scripture to really dig into it, into it. So I've been writing through the Psalms, and I've been writing through the book of Isaiah, and I was writing through Psalm 77. Psalm 77 is a psalm of this man named Asaph. He wrote about 10 major psalms in the Bible. And this psalm just spoke clearly to that question, because it presents... I'm just going to say it presents Asaph. It might have been a story story type of psalm, but it presents Asaph at his worst, at at his most troubled, and then he turns to his hope. And I saw the answer to the question was a question. It was, remember God. Remember God. The question of what do you say when you're in, to a person who's in that, in that moment or in that struggle or who feels like they're drowning or what do you say in general, it's just this simple question, remember God. So we're going to go to Psalm 77 because many of you are suffering with questions. Many of you know people who are suffering who have questions and many of you just, just want to know an answer when somebody is in a place like that. And so, if you'll turn with me to Psalm 77, otherwise, it'll be up on the screen. And we're going to go through verses one through five to start. And this is how it begins. And the psalmist says, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, My hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Selah. Pause. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. This is an extreme example. You may be in this state emotionally or you might say, wow, that's a lot further than I am. I don't think it matters because I think what this psalmist, what Asaph is going to tell us is applicable to all of life, is applicable to where we are right now. We have the story of Asaph undone at the end of his rope, broken and hurting. He is speaking out of his trouble And he goes from his trouble into a stream of questions. Because naturally when you're troubled, you start asking questions. Why is it this way? Why is happening? What is wrong? What What do I need to do? And so Asaph goes into these questions in 6 through 9. This is what he says. I said... Let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Let me just explain right there. He starts by saying he's he's having these troubles. He's lacking sleep. And he's just trying to think. He's just trying to think things through. Have clear thoughts and try and understand. And that's how he sets up these questions. And he begins, Will the Lord spurn... Forever, will he cast him away? Will it be away from him and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Selah. You might have those questions in your life right now. Or versions of those questions. You might be asking something like that, but that not that specifically. I want to tell you that those questions are precious. They are questions that people ask over and over and over. Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun. It's true. Questions like this are asked over and over again and again in our life. They're questions we should not be surprised by. They're questions that aren't a problem. They're questions that shouldn't be scary. They're questions that are actually good. Because these types of questions are the questions that get us to focus on what God is doing. They're the type of questions that get us to stop and think through our situations rather than just trying to cover them up. Commonly nowadays, what we do as a society is ignore things, just kick things under the table and forget about them. We neglect them. We say, you know, that's unimportant to me or I can't deal with that right now, just go away. But questions bring us to dealing with the struggles, dealing with the realities, looking for some sort of answer. So questions aren't the problem. They've never been the problem. And they aren't the problem for God. The problem can be the answers. Or more specifically the answerers. And that's my warning for you. If you have questions like this. Watch where you're turning. Because you can find terrible. Bible opposing. Christ diminishing. Gospel sport distorting, I can't talk, gospel distorting answers in a variety of places. And for a moment it'll feel great, but really all they are is tearing down your souls and tearing down your hearts and just preparing you for worse. Even some of the best answers, the truest answers, can come from people like Job's friends who have truth but do not deliver it appropriately or at the right time. So be careful where you take these questions. Asaph is taking them to God. Take them to God, and any answer you get, check with your Bible. Check with the Word of God. But so these questions are there. And thankfully, Asaph doesn't just end the psalm with questions. There are psalms like that. There's a psalm where the psalmist just says, all my friends are darkness. That's the end. It's an uplifting psalm. It encourages your soul. You walk away from it whistling and snapping your fingers and feeling great. But thankfully, Asaph gives us clarity. He says, remember God, period. First time it was remember God, question mark. Now it's remember God, period. Asaph, in his, in his psalm, turns somewhere and he says, in verses 10 through 15, then I said, I love this, he speaks into it. He doesn't stay silent. He takes the advice of many Well, he doesn't take the advice. He set up the advice for many future great preachers and says, speak into the situation. Says, Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. Just take that in. I will appeal to this. You know, I know where I can get an answer from everything that God has done. That's where I can find an answer. So that's where he starts to look. And he says in 11 through 15, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. Salah. Asaph amazingly calls us to just think about God. Now, he does something. He starts to talk about who God is, specifically his attributes. And if you've never studied the attributes of God, do so. It's wonderful. It can be refreshing. He talks about how God is holy in this psalm. He talks about how God is great, how God works wonders, how God is mighty. Those are amazing things. But... Do not disconnect him, disconnect them from what he does next. He specifically calls forth the attributes, but he doesn't stay in an abstraction. He goes to specifics. He says, I know this about God because God has done this. An example of this in my life is watching my daughter cry. She cries pretty often. She's just about to turn one tomorrow, and she cries, and she specifically wants mom. Now, you can give her tastes of mom, like, hey, here's a picture of mom. No, that's not acceptable. Or, you know what? Mom is calling from the other room. You hear her voice, right? No, that's not acceptable. I need to be picked up by mom. I need mom right here, I need the specific reality, not the abstraction of voice, not the abstraction of a picture, and not the abstraction of a concept. I need mom. We need God in specifics. We need to know what he's done, why he's done it, and why he continues to do it. We need to be reminded of who God is. And so Asaph goes into a specific story. We're not going to go there, but he goes to a specific story of the Red Sea, of the Israelites crossing the Red Sea, of the nature of the water and the wind and the lightning, and all these things to point to a God who is faithful, who took them to the edge of the sea and says, you think I'll stop here? No, I'm taking you all the way home. We're not going to go there. Because I want us to see a principle for our lives to take forward. Because for Asaph, he finds the answers for life in God's activities. What God has done is telling Asaph what God will do. What God has done is telling us what God will do. And I want us to do so by looking back just on Jonah one more time. And rather than preaching through Jonah, I just want to share something with you from this week. I was trying to figure out how to explain everything, how to go from one series into another. Dave had that excellent video to explain our upcoming sermon series. Awesome. We just did the Jonah series. Awesome. I have this little tiny island right here today to try and teach you something. I don't like islands. I don't, I don't like I, I don't like being on boats like dave was on i would prefer to be on a mass of land on a continent give me a continent of scriptures and it'll go great but so i just want to use jonah to propel us into our next series which we're going to do right now and rather than just go to jonah and read it all to you i want to share something with you um the first thing is a resource that we are starting to use here at Crosspoint. We're using it specifically with the children's ministry, and it's called the Bible Project, and there's a picture of it on the screen. There's actually two parts to it. The Bible Project, on the back of your sheets, is this little picture, and it's a diagram of the whole book of Jonah. This is what we've started to take the kids through. They're actual videos that teach the whole book and give major concepts and major themes at this website and on YouTube, called thebibleproject.com. I love this website because, number one, it's beautiful, or I'm sorry, it's, it's biblical. That's the most important thing for a pastor. Things are biblical. You can teach us beautiful things all you want, but unless they're biblical, they're not helpful. But number one, it's biblical. Number two, it's beautiful. Number three, it's approachable. It's very easy to use. And number four, it's free. Oh my goodness, people, this is free, they post everything for free. All of the pictures, all of the videos, all of these documents. They have breakdowns of every single book of the Bible in 9-minute videos that you can watch over and over again and even download. They can be PG-13 because the Bible is PG-13. So we're very careful to show your kindergartners only the ones that are acceptable just in case you're worried. So if you're going to show them the First Corinthians video, Forewarning, remember that First Corinthians talks about a three-letter word, sex. So, just so you know, I know some of the kids can spell, but so that is in there because it's teaching them about the the deep deep down dirty truth of the scriptures. At times, it's the reality of a fallen world. But so we've been using this this series, and in the series something popped out to me as I was watching the video in preparation. It was Jonah's sermon. And there's a little diagram on it that that I probably couldn't see it very clearly. But it talks about Jonah's sermon and how Jonah simply said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. This video pointed something out to me that I'd missed in all of my study, all of my preparation, all of my reading of Jonah. And it's that the word overthrown here overturned actually has multiple meanings. It can mean what Jonah wanted it to mean, which is a catastrophe, elimination, destruction, but it can also mean transformation, change, growth. And so what Jonah desired didn't match up with what he preached because what he preached came true. God overthrew Nineveh. God overturned Nineveh. And led to transformation of all those people. I want, I'm having us look there for a very specific reason. Because next week, we are going to have our grand opening. And we've been hanging door hangers in preparation for this. And on them, we've had this phrase, God is starting something new at Cross Point Church. God is starting something new. And I want you to know that phrase has a double meaning as well. Because we are launching into this grand opening, this new thing that we are about to do, this new facility that we're presenting to the public. But the reality of what is happening at Crosspoint Church is what God has always been doing. He's starting something brand new in each and every person who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Every person that has come to know God and be transformed by the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and over the grave is not only made brand new, but is being made brand new each and every day with each and every act of repentance, which each growth of transformation in every way that we get closer to God. Which leads us to our final point. You may be thinking, how can I be made new? How can I be made new? First off, faith. Faith. If you are looking to be made new, know that it only starts through faith in Jesus Christ. I can't make you new. Dave can't make you new. We can't do something to make you brand new. We could possibly refurbish you. Like clean you up a little bit and get you back and going a little bit. We can't do things on our own. Only the power of the gospel can transform you and make you new. So step one is faith, and step two is actually our strategy as a church. It's gather, grow, give, go. We've talked about it before, but it's something that we want to always be remembering. Gather, grow, give, go. We come together to be brand new. That's what we're here today, to celebrate God and to be changed and transformed together. We come together in small groups. We come together in teaching classes. We come together for these classes that Phil talked about. The purpose is not just knowledge attainment. The purpose is transformation. The purpose is to put the old aside and step into the newness of life that God has given us, and that's growth. We are a growing people. We are being cultivated. We are working towards something. And that's the image of Christ. And then additionally, out of that transformation, we give our time, talents, and treasures, and we go forth into the world. God is doing that in us. And those things, what we just talked about, are the answers to the questions that Asaph had you'll say, how? How are those the answers to the questions? And this is where if I was feeling mean, I would just stop and walk away, but I'm not. Those are the answers to the questions because the answers we need are always yes and amen in Jesus Christ. We cannot find satisfactory answers in a fallen world by fallen means. When we are trying to figure out what is happening, we need to look to God and see what's going on. Asaph used the example of the Red Sea. If you read the story of Exodus and you very carefully follow the Israelites' reactions and what they do, everything they do is fail. They're constantly failing. They're constantly questioning God and saying, This doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense. Why are you doing this? Now imagine having that attitude as you're just moseying along. Now come to the edge of a giant sea and try and evaluate what's happening next. That's what Asaph was pointing at the fact that they got to the Red Sea and they said, We're done. There's the Pharaoh and his armies. He's coming to get us and we have no out plan. We have no escape plan. What is God doing? And what God does is something amazing and transformative. He does something they never expected. He does something that there was no basis for them to expect. They did not think that the Red Sea would part. They got there and said, why did Moses lead us here? And so that might be where you are. You are at a point in your life and you're just saying, why? Why am I here? Asaph says, look at what God has done and know that he is just as, if not more faithful to you because of Christ Jesus than he was to them. He did not leave them nor forsake them, and he is not leaving you nor forsaking you. And the answer, it's not going to be a perfect crystal, crystal clear picture, but the answer is going to be God. Why is this happening? It's going to remember God. Just going to remember God. He was faithful before and he will be faithful now. And he's going to get me through this time. And that is the answer to those times. As Phil brought up, I think of the catastrophe. The catastrophe that's happening in Houston. This is A month ago, a month ago, these people had none of these concerns. Nothing. Everything was completely fine. They would meet in churches like ours and think, we're going to finish out the summer and we'll have the beginning of the school year. Just think of what our thoughts were in the beginning of August. They were not expectations of everything being gone. That hurricane is a catastrophe. Something that came in and changed everything for the worse. There's a word. It was made by an author named J.R.R. Tolkien who wrote The Lord of the Rings. The word is eucatastrophe. U is Latin for good. E-U. And eucatastrophe refers to something coming in and changing everything for greatness. Imagine the reverse of a hurricane hitting our city and transforming everything for the better. A U catastrophe is Christ Jesus. He comes in like a hurricane and takes everything broken and makes it brand new. Brand new. And that is what we celebrate. That catastrophe is our answer to our questions. And that catastrophe is the answer we need. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you so much for your son Jesus who has come into our life, who has transformed us and is making us new. Pray for those who have lost everything, lost everything and it's just it's unimaginable to be in their position can't even fathom all the videos and everything we've seen but now lord we remember how good you are and we see how you've worked with so through so many people to inspire hope and to inspire love and to give and freely give so many different people from so many different backgrounds are coming together to help. That's what happens again and again It's these types of situations. So we thank you and praise you for that and we pray for the churches in Houston and in the surrounding areas because it's not just Houston. We ask that you would be with them and that you would work mightily and powerfully to change things bring them back, and to start a redemptive prop project in them. Help them, oh Lord, help them. It's in your name we pray.